Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others. Before we kick things off, I wanted to let you, our listeners around the world, know that we are delighted to welcome as new sponsors to the Do One Better podcast, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is a mission-first technology company seeking to increase empathy in the world. They use the internet as a source of knowledge, inspiration, and communication, and they've tackled issues around climate change, gender equity, and health around the world. The interesting thing about our friends at Quilt AI is that they believe the true value of the internet has yet to be seen. It has been used to index data and store photographs and conduct e-commerce, but it truly has not yet been used to understand the other. And this is the mission that Quilt AI is on. That mission of converting the internet into a space of understanding and appreciation. The show you're going to listen to today is with Quilt AI's co-founder, Anurag Banerjee. And it's a conversation that he and I had a while back now before we even contemplated anything having to do with sponsorship. It was an insightful conversation that led to a really wonderful rapport that eventually led to a sponsorship deal. So without further ado, let's kick off with that interview. Thank you, Alberto. Really glad to be here today. Great. Well, it's delightful that you could join us. I'm here in London and you are in Singapore. So tell us a little bit about Quilt AI. What's the firm all about? Yes. Um, Quilt AI, we're, we're almost three years old. Uh, we just crossed 100 people. And the premise was really very simple. The premise was that technology uh, seemed to have fractured the world in many ways um, between social media and the internet as it is today. And we felt that it's imperative that technology stitch the world back together again, and hence, hence the name Quilt. So it's a little old-fashioned. And the, the stitching back involves the idea of increasing empathy between you and me, Alberto, and between organizations and countries and communities. So we work both with for-profit entities and non-profit entities. It's a 50-50 um, process. We work with some of the largest brands in the world, helping them understand their consumers better. And we work with some of the largest foundations and philanthropies in the world, helping them understand their beneficiaries better and driving greater advocacy there. Um, we've um, we've tried to work on issues that range from from gender equity to climate change to to diabetes to smoking cessation um, and to equal voting rights. We uh, we're Singapore based, but have a presence in, uh, in truly embracing the global world. Have a presence in Zurich, in London, in New York, in New Delhi, in Pondicherry, and in Colombo. Great. And tell me, so what exactly is artificial intelligence? We, we read about it all the time. Everything seems to be AI this, AI that. But what are we, what are we talking about? For us, artificial intelligence is just better math. And okay. um, the way we use artificial intelligence is to take very, very large sets of data, train them to understand them better, and then to, then to make a decision against that. An example that I often use is, um, so my, 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 uh, alleged hometown is New York. Um, and if you've been to New York and you're driving from JFK to the city, there's always this view that you get somewhere uh, a few a few miles out of the skyline. Mm -hmm. And as you take a photograph and you instinctively know what a good skyline 
shot is of New York. Now, if I asked 10 humans or 100 humans to give me their best New York skyline photographs, I would take those and I would train a machine with those photographs. And then the next time uh, my cousin gave me a photo or Alberta, you gave me a photo, I could rank it against that. So it's the ability to take um, large sets of information, create models around that, and then assess new sets of information and drive certain outcomes from there. It's it's what technically would be called narrow AI, not general purpose AI. But that's, that's the way we use artificial intelligence where we look at billions of um, photographs, hundreds of lines of text, and we can analyze that uh, much faster than computationally possible earlier. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're referencing here an example of, of visuals, uh, imagery. Uh, I know when we spoke uh, last time, you were telling me a little bit about facial expressions and uh, images and how that all can benefit some of the work that you're doing. You're, you're very, um, I don't know if it's fair to say, but th- the visual aspect is very important to your work. It, it is because so much of what we do or say or come across in life is, is tied to um, the way we look and the way we feel. So if I, if I use a visual expression, um, if I, if there was, let's say Albert, instead of meeting over audio Skype, we were having a coffee somewhere in, in London uh, and uh, we took a selfie and we put it on Instagram and we said something like hashtag do one better, um, hashtag save the world and, and off it went. That Those hashtags say only so little. So we think of the internet as a very infantile thing at this point in time because it operates on certain structures that, that are, are quite basic. But if you take that same image and let's say the two of us are grinning and we're sitting outside um, at a cafe and it's a fantastic spring day um, or a late cooling summer day and we've got grins on our faces, we would we, we tag that same photo with it being outdoors, but, but also seeing the smile and we would tag that photo with a concept around joy or happiness. So if we have 30 different kinds of joy tagged in our archive and we would tag that photograph with one such thing. And then you can say, okay, here are two happy men um, having coffee. And that says so much more than, than just those tags. So we try to read the internet like you would read if you were walking by and you saw the two of us mm-hmm. um, having coffee. And so if I'm sitting here, uh, driving forward a foundation or trying to tackle one of the sustainable development goals, how might I avail myself of artificial intelligence and the sort of you know, images that were, were you were describing a, a second ago to drive forward social change, to tackle one of these uh, 17 SDGs? A couple of different, couple of different ways. And, and one, one I'll, I'll share two cases with you. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one around around misogyny and the other ones around changing the uh, changing a norm and I, I obviously no man is born a misogynist um, we we become one um, sometimes because we're exposed to a certain framework of the way life is and now that framework today is sits in these filter bubbles that are on our phone so if we don't if we don't see something we move towards something else it's about how you believe in climate change. You don't believe in climate change, how you believe in vaccines. You don't believe in vaccines. It's subject to the kind of exposure you have. Um, and that exposure is, is so fundamentally through the phone. So in, in one instance, we um, were able to look at a few million photos and videos shared um, all publicly 
and then analyze them and come up with a misogyny index mm-hmm. for four, about four million voids. And the misogyny index was based on what kind of videos were shared and those videos were read, what kinds of comments were put, etc. So that's that's an easy way to understand the online misogyny that existed in this particular part of the world. Uh, then in order to change that, that uh, misogynistic uh, belief, uh, because these boys hadn't seen successful women, uh, we were able to inject in their um, filter stream using just conventional marketing techniques, hundreds and thousands of photographs of successful women, of women uh, at NASA, women in the Mars mission, women in corporate uh, roles, women in government. And that shifts your reality because you're like, oh, maybe my girlfriend should work. Maybe I shouldn't hold her back. And when you measure that month on month over a year or a year and a half, you see very big shifts um, happening. So the AI is able to read the misogyny. The AI is able to respond to the misogyny. And uh, that's that's one way you could work on on that particular SDG around gender equity. Fascinating. How, how easy is it to... Um... I don't know what the terminology is to scrape or to to get access to all of this all of these public uh, posts, images, data, in order to be able to analyze it. How easy is it to get your hands on that data set? Great question. Um, so there are there are some platforms that are obviously closed, um, like a WhatsApp. So everything that we've we've tried to build is is legally extractable, legally purchasable by the large platforms. And the data is um, never at an individual level. It was an aggregate cohort level. Um, we practice pieces around um, it being GDPR um, compliant as well as have a child safeguarding policy. But it's, it's actually fairly easy to mm-hmm. access data because you know, Coca-Cola gets it and um, um, Nike gets it and they, and they use the same techniques to, to sell more shoes or Coke. Um, we just happen to use it for for changing behavior um, uh, for the good. And you're presumably able to target your analysis with the same efficiency and effectiveness that somebody might be able to target their paid advertising on social media, right? You could target geographically, demographically. Yes, the the engines are are fantastic. The platforms, both the US and the Chinese platforms are are extraordinarily competent at getting to the granularity that you mentioned. down to a latitude, longitude, um, it's, uh, it's very, very well architected. <laughs> and what about the, um, so if we're looking at this particular instance that you were talking about, how, how boys might feel towards women or their appreciation or lack of appreciation that successful women exist, how do you then go about introducing them to case studies or examples of successful women? How does that happen? Is that through paid paid advertising or how do you how do you expose that audience to uh, more positive messages? The internet, and, and you know this, is is a real estate uh, play and you can win, win one, one of two ways, with paid media um, or with extraordinarily uh, well-articulated and frequent content. And uh, paid media only gets you so far and even these very large philanthropies with extraordinarily large budgets um, will not invest in in paid media at that same scale as a marketer would mm-hmm. and consistently. So you always start with a little bit of paid media, but then you have to build communities um, 
and you have to let the, the or conversations become organic. So we started paid media. We then built often thousands of niche communities around the world on a certain topic. We used AI to write content. You've obviously seen a lot of the noise around GPT-3 and GPT-2 from uh, from um, Mr. Elon Musk's OpenAI uh, work. And some of that is, is staggeringly good. And we use tools like that. We build some of our own to augment and create and write a lot of content. So eventually when a, when a misogynistic voice online, he sees some, he sees some paid advertising. He is uh, invited and has access into communities where conversations are uh, initially guided towards less misogyny and then the conversation is taken over organically and extremely successfully by, by thousands of these, these young boys. Uh, and when they are online, uh, they are they are seeing content uh, for, against search behavior that is aligned to the idea of a more equitable world. Hmm. Are you able then to follow through to the next step in terms of you've identified the situation, you've sort of you're 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 putting out some content there to to address it. Are you then able to assess how effective that that intervention has been? Yes, we've um, we've and, and this I think is is classic. Uh, classic, well-done marketing. So we have we have uh, no special advantage here, just to be fully transparent. Um, but the the outcomes we typically end up looking at are either in, in the example that I shared earlier, less misogynistic say, video consumption, um, or a different kind of uh, uh, information-seeking pattern on the internet. Um, but almost uh, all of the interventions that we've partnered with large foundations on tend up uh, tend up ending um, end up tending to be uh, tied to an offline result. Uh, so in in one instance, we've actually increased um, condom sales across across multiple states um, in a city in, in a country. In another instance, we've had uh, tens of thousands of people sign up for um, uh, diabetic um, prevention advice. And, and so on and so forth. So we try and link it to an actual offline real behavior. Um, otherwise, it's just, um, it, it doesn't close the loop because you eventually want a, a less misogynistic outcome, a better health outcome um, to be uh, actioned or executed against. And you mentioned this is, you're drawing some parallels with, with traditional marketing. You come from a decade at American Express. Yes, I, I uh, is, is it's an amazing employer. So I spent uh, I think 2003 to 2012 with them. I had multiple different jobs. Um, worked with some extraordinary large brands. Worked with understanding consumers at an intimate level. And I, I the biggest thing that I took away from my time at American Express was this idea of special treatment. And eventually, every human being in an emerging market or in a London or Stockholm or New York City wants something special about them. And the Amex card for the longest time allows and uh, enables that process. I think a lot of the processes that Amex have put in place um, um, ascribe to that. So you take that that knowledge that yes, and then you have the internet, which is still, I think, in extremely young stages. And you marry the two say, I can use uh, with the power of um, great AI, I can use the internet to make uh, and connect with every individual in a more empathetic, more connected, more complete way. So that's how I, I this, that's how the transition has worked for me from from Amex into into using internet for uh, for developing worlds. 
Excellent. Did you think you, you'd end up running a, a, an entrepreneurial venture uh, focused so much on, uh, on driving forward social change in a positive way? Gosh, no, I, you know, I, 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 I wanted to have a successful corporate career and, uh, and uh, wear a suit every day and uh, be on Wall Street. Uh, and then somewhere, somewhere in your mid thirties, you're like, oh, well, maybe, not, maybe not, maybe there's, there's uh, a little more to be, to be done here. Mm. But I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed both. And I, I've, uh, I do feel that I think I was, I was telling somebody earlier today that, uh, the arc arc for, uh, Quilt AI, um, I'd love to be doing this 40 years from today. So wow. I feel that the journey has been, been very worthwhile. That would be very good. That would be very good. And tell me, so one of the things we spoke about earlier was some of the work that you've done with one of the nonprofits in terms of um, how you might empower uh, women, girls in low-income settings to improve education, to improve their, their college performance and their, their career prospects. Yes. So we, we, we found, um, and this is probably true, and everybody, every NGO who's worked in the space knows it much better than, better than I ever will. There are certain hurdles to education, and those hurdles can be social norms. Those hurdles can be the men. Those hurdles can be early marriage. So these are, these are hurdles that exist, and, and uh, tens of years of work has gone into this by several foundations. What, what we find is that... Um, there is a reduction in the amount of engagement that are frontline workers uh, that are government or foundation sponsored engage with in rural parts of the world. And the internet is becoming a proxy for these young girls, 13 and up, to, to seek education. And these can range from how to have sex, to wear a condom, to how to say no to my boyfriend, to what contraception to use, and how do I get into school, boarding school for girls? We posted an interesting post today about the difference between a rural girl setting and an, an urban girl setting, and the distinction and, and the differences are, are are stark. So in our intent there is very simple, is when somebody comes to the internet uh, and they ask a certain question, they should get information that is useful. And there's been a ton of talk, obviously, about fake news and information on everything from politics to vaccines, etc. But to, to us at Quilt AI, the, the biggest travesty is, is fake information on topics that, you know, an unsuspecting young child wants to know and learn about. So our hope there is how can we re-architect what the Internet is serving up to these, to these people? So we work on that. We work on, I mean, we, call it, <laughs> we call it a real estate takeover. It sounds quite uh -huh. But you're essentially taking over the the ecosystem of what this girl is searching for and you are providing information about the benefits of college, the benefits of education, the benefits of getting out of a cycle of poverty, the benefits of income. Um, and even, and, and you know, we're a 68% um, women-owned company and I'm often asked by our colleagues about simple things like investing and knowledge about money and mutual funds and stocks. And I'm not fully qualified to give that response, but our work in getting girls to college and then taking through high school, personally, not getting pregnant, getting through high school, getting into college and then getting employed and creating a financial sense of independence is this long series of digital interventions that you do across, across that, that entire arc where you're able to 
gently prod and provide information um, in a way that's needed. And ideally, I'd like to re-architect the whole internet, but I don't have the capability, yeah. the knowledge of the smarts to do it. But that would be great, where you were able to create a positive loop, um, genuinely good information um, that reaffirms choices that will lead to, to better outcomes. Um, so that's, that's how we go about it, is, is, is when a certain set of queries happen and there's curiosity um, and interest um, as as is you know as is just bound to happen, we intervene at that point in time with with good content created by other people um, that allows allows them to then make better decisions for themselves. And what does it look like in practice? So I know a lot of international development uh, outfits that are in trying trying to improve the livelihood uh, and expected life outcomes of girls. It, it, it has three elements, uh, Alberto. One element, and you know, we touched about this a few minutes ago with the, with the paid media piece. But let's take a state that we do a lot of work in in India and it's Rajasthan. And um, in in Rajasthan, if you had to engage the four and a half odd million dollars in girls, um, and get them in the arc of of um, education and, and economic equality, you would start by obviously being in their social media feeds in terms of paid media. That's so you would create some content. So we we generate copy uh, and we curate images from the internet to create hundreds of thousands of interesting organic pieces of content that would be ads, essentially an image and a tagline or a mini video and a tagline. And then we buy media and we disperse this in their timelines. And so it's not one message. I think a lot of the development work um, has one or two messages and a couple of assets created uh, and it's been it's been more effectively used in mass media but on the internet you've got to be adaptive adaptable and you've got to have loads and loads of different kinds of exposure to capture the, the, the mind of that of that young person at that point in time so that's the one thing you do second is you build um, you build different communities we have Communities called Responsible Boys, Responsible Girls. And these are just, they're fun communities. They're communities talking about music, et cetera. They talk about their, you know, their local dramas taking place, uh, things that they like, et cetera, um, Bollywood stars that they follow. And in, in those communities, sometimes you can inject um, YouTube videos about how to wear a condom. Um, and sometimes they're funny and they get a great reaction and a rise from, from there. And the third thing we do, and we've actually hired um, you know, several dozen journalists often to write in initial pieces of content for us around certain topics. And uh, we get them to write a couple of hundred pieces. And then we take that, we train the machine just as we did in the image uh, example that I shared. And then we get the machine to churn out output. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of output, which we cut up into blog pieces. And then we post on the internet. And since they're recent, and, and you know how, how Google works, right? It's about it's about amazing SEO and recency. And amazing SEO can be done by um, you know physically, or it can be done at at scale um, using technology. So that's the third item that we do. Uh, we even wrote a book on Freud once, which is quite funny. Uh -huh. uh, a whole book because the machine was just on all night uh, spitting out content. It wasn't great. But it wasn't terrible. So, so now if you have this girl who's uh, in Barmer in Rajasthan or Bundi district in Rajasthan, right, she's she's looking for um, 
she sees stuff on her feed. She's like, oh, condom. Okay, all right. Like, what do I do about this? She goes online, searches, and bam, there's a bunch of content there. So the an NGO or a foundation will engage us to create this initially a little bit of paid, then uh, community management at scale, and then content at scale. So essentially, we're taking a, a, a on-ground program, like um, using community workers and then using content through community radio or TV. But instead of that, um, we're, al- we're allowing for the privacy of that conversation to happen by cascading by cascading authentic, real, good content um, for that. And on that point of privacy, because I know it's very important, particularly here in the in the European Union, um, but it's important to everybody everywhere. Um, what are the privacy considerations and concerns that uh, might arise from the sort of approach that you have, and how are you addressing it? Great question. So we um, we don't care about the individual. That sounds like a really rough statement to make, but the individual by themselves is 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 hard to address. So Alberto's search history is not the point. But if all forty five year old men. Um, are searching for uh, knee replacement. They're like, oh, there is. You know, we should make sure that they have good information about knee replacement um, and um, and not direct that information somewhere else. Or if uh, or if all searches are happening on, say, uh, how do I do a home abortion, which is one of the biggest searches we've seen recently, um, then there's information that leads to really bad dark websites advocating you know rubbing papaya seeds in your vagina and garbage like that which um you know which is not good content so we need to give better content against that uh, there is never any individual that we look at because honestly it's not interesting second it's not executable against um, it's much better to work at a community level um, and a cohort level um, so the 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 it's we've defaulted our way into privacy if I have to say it mm-hmm. um, because uh, it 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 is not useful. We're not building a Muslim vote bank, or we're not building uh, we're not doing something for um, an intelligence agency um, or something uh, sinister for a political party, right? Um, where we're just trying to get the right information in the hands of people who might be looking at it um, at the at the right time. Hmm. And so with the artificial intelligence, the way I understand everything you're telling me is that you're using it both to um, identify the severity of a problem in a specific area and then also to address it. So it, AI can, can serve both the, um, the sort of an analysis and then the, the, the medicine that you would be, uh, be able to deploy. Yes, identify, change behavior, and, uh, and cement behavior. That's, that's, that's the process. <laughs> You know, we only have half an hour today, but I could easily stay having this conversation for, for much longer. Before we wrap up, a couple of questions for you. First of all, what does success look like to you uh, and to the folks at Quilt AI for the next 10 years, uh, which dovetails perfectly with the SDGs for 2030? We find, and, and, and this will probably get me into trouble, but it, it, it is, it's worthwhile saying, we, we find technology not fully embraced by the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we find that many technology companies not wishing to work with the nonprofit sector, which suits us well because it allows us to support and gain market share from a capitalistic perspective. 
But it also is worrisome because the best of the best should be focused on these problems. Um, Silicon Valley or Silicon Alley or, you know, Bangalore, India shouldn't worry about making nice juicers and an app that gets your dry, dry clean sorted out. Those are important. I get it. But um, there is some there is a large amount of friction that the nonprofit sector has has built in. And in 10 years, I'd love for them to all use the Internet aggressively um, as a means of understanding their beneficiaries better. And, and the reason is very simple in, in about I may have told you the story earlier, but, but uh, five years ago, I was in a plane uh, with my wife to go go adopt our son. And we're sitting next to somebody from a very large foundation. And this lady was headed to the same the same city. And we got chatting and, sh- and she said, yes, I was, I'm, I'm heading to do focus groups in two villages. I'm going to get uh, uh, 10, uh, 15 year olds together and ask them about their attitudes towards sex and school, etc. And I, and I said, then and what do you do after that? And she said, well, I'm going to deploy a few hundred million dollars towards to a sex education here. And I was stupefied because I thought, wow, you're going to talk to 15, 10 kids and you're going to make a multi hundred million dollar decision based on that when you can get so much of this information um, in terms of desires, likes, needs, issues, wants, problems on online, and you could create something there. And you can never scale um, on-ground behavior change at the, way, the way you can do something digitally. So my aspiration, not just for Quilt AI, but for the nonprofit sector more importantly, is to, is to embrace the internet, embrace technology. Um, and we'll know that when, when Silicon Valley starts spitting out startups that are that are funded by large VCs that end up working on these problems. Um, so that's that's that, that's my aspiration. That sounds very good. That sounds very good indeed. And um, a key takeaway for our audience: What's that key thing you'd love for them to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? The, the internet is still in its infancy. We we think of it as something that's been here forever, but it's only twenty years old in in some ways. If I take a sort of technical uh, start date definitions, but between Amazon and Google, they've only been here a couple of decades. So the the next version of the internet, the way information will be indexed, the way we'll experience it, all these are things to come, and I think those are fascinating times, and it'll be more than just clicking and having Amazon deliver stuff to you and within two hours. Um, it, it will mean fundamentally going up Maslow's pyramid, and I think the internet needs to get there. Right now it's all about getting us uh, basic information answered, basic transactions done, but there is, uh, there is so much more. Uh, great, great. Anurag Banerjee, co-founder of Quilt AI, thank you so very much for joining the Do One Better podcast today, all the way from Singapore. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you, Alberto. I had so much fun. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic to think more about sustainability and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.